about this lady. This is what I suppose. Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. My name's Robert, I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary Chapel, South London, and we are in the process of going through a study in the book of Acts, and we're looking at the history of the early church. Today, we're going to be looking at a topic, which is really going to be the start of a little mini-series called The Bigger Picture. And today's part one, and our message specifically is personal message, nationwide effect. Personal message, nationwide effect. And we're going to be looking at verses 32 to 41 of Acts chapter 9. If you just turn there, I'm going to begin to read. Starting at verse 32. Now, as Peter went here and there, I'm reading from the ESV, by the way, the English Standard Version. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please, come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside. And he knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon Let me set up my stool early. Prepare yourself for quite a lengthy introduction. We don't have many verses to go through this week, and so I've taken the liberty to intro at least the next two chapters now, today. We are approximately a third of the way through this book as we aim to complete chapter 9 today. 
So much for our introduction of Saul. Remember verse 31 through to, sorry, verse 1 through to verse 31. We are now going to see the introduction or the reintroduction of another apostle. And we're not going to see Saul again until chapter 11. Where he will make a brief appearance and then becomes the predominant character from chapter 13. But for the time being, the Lord has made Saul into the man that he should be. Remember last week? Or should I say, the Lord has begun to make Saul into the man that he should be. Saul is now on the, on the potter's wheel, being remolded and faithfully fashioned after the image of the one who created him. The Lord is also at work in another man's life, another giant in the church. Simon Barjona, a.k.a. Cephas, a.k.a. Peter the Apostle. And what the Lord will do in Peter's life will pave the way for Saul's worldwide ministry. What the Lord will do in Peter's life, especially in the next two chapters, chapter 10 and 11, will pave the way like concrete, like asphalt for Saul's worldwide ministry. What we are going to see this week in these next 10 verses is preparation for something gigantic. And I'm praying the Lord to help me to set the stage today. I will explain what I mean a little later when we see the Lord endorsing Peter's ministry. But notice the abrupt transition from Saul last week to Peter this week. Well, our attention is being grabbed by the writer and more importantly, by the Holy Spirit who is the executive author of this book. And as we move progressively through this book, please remember the, the bigger picture. The bigger picture. Every book in the Bible has a big idea, a central theme, a train of thought, a plot or a storyline. And without the storyline, the smaller scenes... They don't make complete sense. Each book in the Bible is like an episode in a series. Each book is complete in itself, yet it is part of the larger overall picture. Each episode is complete in itself, but fits into a bigger picture. Star Wars. I said, talk about a big picture. Star Wars. Now, the first of the Star Wars, I can't even say trilogy. You'll see why in a minute, if you don't know nothing about Star Wars, that is. The first of the Star Wars films was, it actually didn't have a title when it was first made. It was just called Star Wars. But then they went on, as they do nowadays with these films, right? They went on to make a sequel. And then when they made the sequel, they decided, you know, we need to make a, a third sequel. 
So therefore, meaning that we better give the first one a name, otherwise it's going to be out of place. It's like, which part of the sequel is it? So they gave it a name and it was called A New Hope, if that's right. Second one, Empire Strikes Back, then Return of the Jedi. But they're not actually the first three. There's actually... Another set of films. Now, the reason why they had to go on and make this next set of films is because people began to ask the question, where did Luke Skywalker come from? Where did Obi-Wan Kenobi come from? Where did Darth Vader? Where Where did he come from? Where did they come from? So, 22 years later, seriously, they went, hey, what we, gonna, we can't make a sequel because that's going where? Towards the future. What we need to do is we need to go back in time with the prequel. I know why. There we go. And the prequel began with Phantom Menace, then went on to Attack of the Clones, then Revenge of the Sith. Now, I'm saying it like I know. I never even watched these films. (laughs) Right? But, there we have, not the first and the second and the third, even though they were before the fifth, sixth, the fourth, fifth and sixth. Did I say that right? They become now the prequel. And they begin to fill in the gaps. Oh, so that's where Luke Skywalker come from. Oh, and the gaps begin to get filled in, as it were. 22 years later, they make that prequel. Now, in that series, you have good and evil. You've got the force, the light side, if you like, and you've got the opposing dark side. But in order to understand the origins, how did things become dark when they were originally light, you have to go back in order to construct the context. As I said, that was not their original idea. They actually got their cue indirectly from the Bible. In the same way that I would encourage a new Christian to go away and not read Leviticus, but I'd encourage them to read something like the book of John. Read a book in the New Testament, read the New Testament first and get to know Jesus in the Gospels. Then after some time, we can take you back and show you who Jesus really is. Who's this man? Where'd he come from? Well, let me show you. And that's when we start tracking back into the Old Testament. And we can show you Jesus before he was Jesus. Not Luke Skywalker. Jesus. Before he was Jesus. And we can show you the real dark side. See, Star Wars actually takes a similar line to that of the Bible. Darth Vader, like the devil, wasn't always dark. Darth Vader started off as Anakin Skywalker. Just like the devil started off as who? Lucifer. Context. 
Without the context, you don't really understand what's going on. One of my, one of my lecturers at school said, without the context, you can understand the story, but without the context, you don't understand the deeper meaning. Here's an example. <laughs> the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Now, I wasn't sure which picture to use, so I thought I'd just put both of them up there. Don't you think that looks like Ephraim? But just a lighter shade. The way that he laughs. That's what, Pastor Ephraim, I should say. Now, at the beginning of an episode, check it. Now, this is an example, right, of context. Without it, you can kind of grab a little bit, but, but without it, you don't get the deeper meaning. Imagine, yeah, at the beginning of an episode, Will walks into the kitchen and sees Uncle Phil and says to Uncle Phil, Hey, Uncle Phil, I'm going back to Philly. Now, you can understand that. It's cool. Semi-interesting. He's going back to Philly. And you can follow the story. But when you understand the broader context that Will used to live in West Philly but got shipped from London to Nigeria. Joke. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist that one. We got a, we got a young man in, in, in one of our classes at school. Phenomenal talent. We kind of had a lot kind of resting on him. They started writing some songs. I think they got about six songs, in it, sir? We refer to each other as sir at school, see? And these guys just had a bright future. Him and another young guy, both in year eight, both in year nine now. Only to come back to school to say, yo, where's, where's my man? What happened to Juan? And they're like, oh, so actually, his brethren came and, came, and, came and saw me last week in church, because he goes to the church next door. Come over and see me. He says, what's going on? So I'm like, what's going on, Michael? Same. He's like, boy, Juan got shipped. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. We still can't believe it. We're heartbroken. Oh, them lot can't believe it. You lot never knew. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> and so... <laughs> Will used to live in West Philadelphia, but got shipped from Philly to Bel-Air, which is where we find him in the kitchen with Uncle Phil. Why did he get shipped? When a couple of guys who were up to no good... <laughs> now, you'd, you'd, you'd think I'd do better as a rapper, right? When a couple of guys who were up to no good started making trouble in my neighborhood. I'll go, as it go, as, as it go. I, I got in one little fight and my mom got scared and said, you're moving to your aunt and uncle in Bel Air. He got shipped. Now, those words are taken from the theme song and the opening sequence which actually explains the context of the show. And with the context in mind, 
when Will says to Uncle Phil, Uncle Phil, I'm going back to Philly. It has a much deeper meaning when you understand the context. See, every book in the Bible is like an episode that falls into a much broader context. Also, let me give you one more point. We are not surprised when we see scene changes in a, in a film. Scene changes in a TV program. An example is, you see two people sitting, talking quietly over a meal in a restaurant. Then all of a sudden you see a scene change. And you see a car being pursued by police. Two different scenes in two different places. But we're not surprised when we see that. When we're watching a film or we're watching a TV program. But we are surprised when it happens in the Bible. You know, we need to read the Bible sometimes in the same way that we watch films and TV programs. You don't watch Heroes this week and not watch it for four weeks. Well, you can, but you can't expect to keep up with the story. You have to watch it persistently. That is over a protracted, extended period of time. You also have to watch it keenly. That is enthusiastically, earnestly, devotedly, and wholeheartedly so when you're at school and someone missed it and they said what happened you can give them a running commentary because you've been watching it wholeheartedly ain't nothing new that's how some of you watch EastEnders Wholeheartedly, <laughs> devotedly, earnestly, enthusiastically, keenly and persistently. You know everything that's going on down at Albert Square. I like. <laughs> All right, then that might not be your cup of tea. That's EastEnders, right? How about Coronation Street? You know everything Wagwan down at the Rover's Return. You know who's with who from she ain't with him. Hey. When someone steps into the pub, you know who they are. And when they step out of the pub, you know where they're going. You know all the characters. Tell me I'm lying. But if I said to you, have you ever heard of a man named Nicodemus? Can you tell me who he is and where I can find him? Or Aeneas or Tabitha? Now, am I saying that you shouldn't watch those programs? No, I'm not saying that. Because you should know that already.
But what I am saying is we should at least, at least give the Bible the same kind of attention. Check it. We should read it persistently, enthusiastically, earnestly, devotedly, no matter how old or young we may be, wholeheartedly. We need to switch on our minds when we read the Bible. You step into the living room of your house and you sit down halfway through the whole of the rest of the family there you sit down halfway through a film that you've never seen before and say this film don't make no sense no you don't make no sense you're sitting halfway through the film how can you make a statement like that in similar fashion you can't come into the living room sit down halfway through a chapter in your bible and be like This book don't make no sense. (laughs) Don't come to the Bible like that. No, that's approaching the Bible in a senseless fashion. See, if you don't understand the theme, then you won't fully understand the detail. That's why I love the Bible. Because it's the epitome of Of every good film that you have ever seen in your life. It's even better than the Shawshank Redemption. Now, there are a lot... (laughs) There are a lot of things that change in your life when you become a Christian. Who can testify to that? One of them is that you need to read. Each book in the Bible is a part to the whole. Each book is complete in itself, like a a chapter in a book. And here's a classic example as we begin to move toward our text. Notice, I apologize before we started that the introduction was going to be lengthy. Here's a classic example. Here we are in the book of Acts, which is a complete book in itself. But... It is also the sequel to which book? To the book of Luke. Luke is actually the author of both books. And he says in Acts chapter 1, the beginning of this book, that the book of Luke is the prequel. That means that you can read Acts on its own and get blessed. But if you read Acts in the light of Luke... Next level understanding. You see me? Acts is complete in itself, yet it is the second of two volumes. Now, you know, I'm sharing this this morning and this afternoon in the hope that it will, this will save you from getting bored with the Bible. Save you from getting confused with the Bible. Save you from disregarding those things that you don't understand. We do it with other things... Let's also be encouraged to do the same with that which is most important, that which is most vital. See, in these two volumes, there are stories, conversations, quotations. In other words, there are details. 
But there's a bigger picture. Every one of the 66 books in the Bible have details. And they're completing themselves to a degree, but collectively make up a bigger picture. So, here is the big picture with regard to where we are now in this book. Lest we forget the big picture and get confused with the detail. The big picture is the spread of the gospel. The spread of the good news. Particularly about Jesus Christ, his life, his death and his resurrection. And what that means to every single individual. The spread of the gospel. Now if something's going to get spread like Marmite. You love it or hate it, right? Like peanut butter. Most people like that. When you're spreading something, you've got to start somewhere. And it moves out to the edge of the bread, right? So we're talking about the spread of the gospel. It started somewhere and it began to move. I'm trying to paint you the big picture of the book of Acts. And although it's the spread of the gospel, which is a message... This message is is personal to every single individual, yet it's nationwide at this point. It started off with the Lord and just a couple, personal. But then it moved from being personal, and it continues to be personal, but it's personal. And now, where we are in Acts 9, it's now nationwide. And as I said, this, at least the next two chapters, are going to lead to it actually becoming not just personal, not just nationwide, but what? Worldwide. And we feel the effects of that. So the gospel up to this point was, it was very Jewish in nature. Those carrying the gospel are Jewish. And even up until now, those receiving the gospel are Jewish. Remember, big picture. Those carrying the gospel are Jewish. Those receiving the gospel are Jewish up until now. We are about to enter an epoch or an eon or an era. It's a New time frame. Where the the gospel is now going to be made available to a group of people that had never in this way been made available before. It was going to be made available to the Gentiles or the non-Jews. In a way never experienced before. Particularly in chapter 10, which we will be starting next week, God willing. And today is the prequel, or should I say part of the prequel. These next few verses that we're going to look at contain two straightforward stories that seem like, hey, interesting on the surface, but have a much deeper meaning. Taken at face value, they're great stories. Taken in the broader context, however, wow, 
I want us to look at the tremendous way that the Lord is going to use Peter. And the question we need to ask is, why? Can I ask you to look out for the clues? And I'll try and identify them as we proceed through the text. Notice, as I said, we jump from Saul, verse 1 to 31, and his story to the story of Peter now. Back to Peter. Scene change. Nothing new. Nothing unusual about scene change, is there? Verse 32. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all. Another translation says he traveled around or he went through all parts of the country. Peter was an itinerant minister. That meant he traveled. And now traveling freely. Why? Because the persecution was suspended on account of the conversion of the main protagonist, the main persecutor himself, Saul. (laughs) He's not converted. He's on our team now. So no more persecution. It's relaxed. So Peter can now travel without the fear of getting (laughs) incarcerated and possibly tortured and killed. Peter's traveling and he's teaching and he's preaching and he came down also to the saints presumably to have fellowship with them instructing and encouraging those who lived where at Lydda that's a place now where did Peter I'm going to show you in a minute where did Peter come from according to what we saw last week if you were here from verse 26 to 30 Especially when we looked at it in the light of Galatians chapter 1. Where did Peter come from? Remember? Jerusalem. Do you remember Saul had met up with Peter? It was only for 15 days. They linked up and they met together and it was in Jerusalem. Oh, I've had that picture up there all this time. Oh my goodness. Shame on me. Now you can see by the picture behind me that Jerusalem is where that balloon is, that red balloon. So verse 32 tells us that Peter had now left the red balloon, Jerusalem, where he was based, and was now where? Right, just said it, right? Lydda. Verse 33 says, there he found a man named Aeneas, which incidentally, and here's clue number one, which incidentally, the name is of Greek origin. Aeneas is a Greek name. This man had been bedridden for eight years and was paralyzed. Funny, looking at this text, my heart is further moved because yesterday I saw someone I haven't seen for, must be six years, since we left Calvary Chapel, Westminster to plant. Calvary Chapel, South London. I haven't seen this brother. And the last time I saw him, he was looking so well and healthy. Yesterday, we saw him at the memorial, and he was in a wheelchair. And I was, I was stumbled for, for a moment. And as I considered Aeneas and him being in this state, bedridden for eight years, this brother that we saw, he'd been ill, And in hospital for six months. 
And you know, if, if, if you're not moving around and exercising, your muscles, they begin to what they call atrophy. And they basically waste away. This man had been in bed for eight years on account of his illness. He was paralyzed. No hope of being restored by medicinal or natural methods. What is needed is an absolute unadulterated miracle for Aeneas. Now, watch the Lord, the Lord, perform effortlessly what Peter could not. No hump, no hype, and no strain. No shouting, no screaming, no running up and down, no falling over. Effortlessly. Verse 34, and Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed, bruv. And immediately, not six months later, Aeneas, are you all right? Yeah, 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 man, I'm healed. Are you sure? Yeah, man, in Jesus' name. But, bruv, you're still in the same place that you were six months ago. No, it says immediately. And I mention that because so often we get hoodwinked by false teaching and false doctrine that contributes to ruining, messing up, and even shipwrecking some people's lives. Study the scriptures for yourself. Be a uh, Acts chapter 17, 11, believer. Be a Berean who searches the scriptures for yourself. No matter who, no matter which big name comes into town and how much people he's packing in at Wembley, don't watch that. Because none of them ain't bigger than Paul, who, when confronted with a group at Berea, was challenged by them like, hey, how do we know what you're saying is true? I mean, we know that you're the Apostle Paul and everything. But we're going to go and check the scriptures for ourselves to see whether or not what you're saying is true. And let me encourage you to be that type of believer. This man got up immediately. Evidently, he was genuinely healed. Immediately rose, and all of the residents of Lydda and Sharon, which is actually north of Lydda, they saw him, and they, that is those who evidenced this miracle. They turned to Peter, oh, like we say all the time. Peter never had a ministry named after himself, www. Simon Peter Ministries.com. He didn't have that, did he? I'll just say, I'm not saying every time it's bad, but I'm just saying be aware of that. They didn't turn to Peter. Who did they turn to? They turned to the Lord. Now, this incident on its own is amazing. This incident actually mirrors one that took place earlier in the ministry of Peter's master, who is the Lord Jesus. 
Jesus heals a similar paralytic in Matthew chapter 9. In Matthew 9, verse 2, And behold, some people brought to him, that is Jesus, a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, drop down to verse 6, he said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God. I mean, they could have glorified Jesus. It's all good. Because he's God in the flesh, right? Second member of the Trinity. They, but they glorified God. Who had given such authority to men. See who the glory goes to. We have to be careful who we give the glory to. We must be careful how we take. Rather than redirect. We have to be careful with the glory. And I know some of my brothers and sisters involved in music ministry. And I, I kind of will mention this because I was involved in music ministry. And it's really easy. And I mean to, to take the glory. Always remember what Billy Graham said. Three G's that you must stay away from. And this is music ministry or <laughs> any kind of ministry. This is for you if even you are a Christian. Billy Graham said, or someone said to Billy Graham, man, what's the secret of your success? All these years, not a bad name about you. Nothing in the papers about, no scandals. Billy Graham said, you know what? The Lord has helped me to remember there's three things I mustn't touch. Don't touch the gold. And how many ministers need to hear that one? including us and be reminded don't touch the gold don't touch the girls hey we was in Jamaica and we heard about this American preacher I think he's from the UK originally he spent time in the UK can you remember his name bro let's expose him Paul Lewis thank you sis we were in Jamaica and we're talking to people about the Lord and now and again, it would come up, mm. you just see them kind of back off when you begin to tell them you're a Christian and you believe in Jesus and you're trying to share the gospel. They'd be like, if, if, I, you wonder why they're backing off only to find out in conversation, oh, well, there was a guy here that was kind of saying the same kind of things that you're saying. And one night, I don't know, after the crusade, took two girls, one 14 and one 15, to a hotel room. Sandals or one of them hotels in Negro and had his way. Two underage girls. Don't touch the gold. Don't touch the girls. And thirdly, Billy Graham said, don't touch the glory. That will stand you in real good stead. And I'm saying as a Christian minister, whatever area you're functioning in. They glorified God. Peter here in Acts chapter 9 replicates a miracle of Jesus. Or should I say that Jesus did. Therefore, the Lord. Now this is a part of the 
the mysterious side of the text. Some of the stuff that we're trying to unearth, like it says in Proverbs, if you want to find treasure, it ain't lying around on the surface. Remember them people used to back in the day with them, what do they call them things? The metal detectors. Because it's, not on the, it's under the surface. In Proverbs it says, if you want to find treasure, you have to dig for it. We're going to see the Lord Jesus, and we'll probably see this further next week or in the coming weeks, advocating, rubber stamping. Why, why do you think these miracles were taking place? Very often we say, Lord, when Brother Sandy got sick, we did what it says in James 5, and we prayed for that brother. All of, not just the elders, of the, all the church prayed for that brother. And the Lord sustained his life for a protracted period of time. But then the time came when he passed away. And we was all heartbroken. And I can't lie. The pressure as a leader is, I wonder if people are looking to us, expecting us now to pray and raise this man from the dead. I can't lie. That's the pressure. You feel like, oh, Lord. You know I mean? And there's good reason for it, quote, unquote. Because we see it happen in the scriptures, right? Brother Michael, we were at his memorial yesterday. And since the time it happened, I've not spoken to Pastor Ephraim, Pastor Patrick about this, but I'm sure they've had it run through their mind, which is, Lord, do we step out in faith and say that in the name of Jesus? Rise up. I can't lie. But one of the things that we need to understand is that sometimes that may happen. Sometimes. But we're not guaranteed that it's always going to happen. And one of the reasons why we see this happen here in Acts chapter 9 is because of the bigger picture. And the Lord is going to use Peter to do something that is unprecedented, it is groundbreaking momentarily so I suggest that one of the reasons why we see this miracle take place is because the Lord was advocating rubber stamping authenticating the ministry of Peter so when Peter in Acts chapter 10 we're going to see does something that makes everybody say what They also, in conjunction with that, will say, maybe I need to take this quite seriously as much as this is crazy. Maybe we need to take you seriously, Peter, because you couldn't do in your own strength what we saw you do, heard you do. There's the brother. He's alive. And he's not paralyzed. In order that, do you remember when Jesus was with, was with the disciples, is it John 6? And Jesus was, look, he was saying things that made everybody say, what? I mean, these are, these are his disciples who were following him quite consistently. What? What did they say what to? Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. They were like, what? You can't say that to a fam. You can, you can talk them talk to a Gentile. But you can't say them kind of things to a Jew. I mean, Jews don't even eat pork. Let alone chat about what? We're going to eat your flesh. 
crazy. And Peter's like, oh, Lord. <laughs> Lord, this is a hard saying. Meaning this don't make no sense. This is madness. And Jesus said to them, oh, fellas, don't worry. Come here, let me explain what I mean. No, he didn't. He let it hang out there like, what? Okay, so it's a hard saying. And what? Are you going to leave like the rest of them? The choice is yours. What are you saying? It's like, oh! It never made no sense in his head. But in his heart, and he said, Lord, where are we going to go? You've got the words of eternal life. This don't make no sense to me, but I trust you. Why? Because I see you popping off miracles like no one ever done. I see you feed the 3,000. I see you feed the 5,000. I see you walk on water. So even though what you're saying don't make sense, I'm gonna, I can try. And he, and, and he holds those things in tension. What do you do when Brother Sandeep dies? What do you do when Brother Mike leaves us? You know what? We follow the example of the apostles, but we follow the example of faithful believers like Sister Angela, resolute. Doesn't mean that she doesn't have those times when she breaks down. Doesn't mean that Sarah doesn't have those times when she breaks down. But they know that their Redeemer lives. And therefore those who trust in him will never be put to shame. So I'm suggesting there's a bigger reason why we see these miracles taking place in the life of Peter. As we will hopefully see in the coming weeks. Can you see that? Now remember, just to bolster my argument, remember Acts chapter 6, the choosing of the seven deacons, they were all Jewish, but they all had non-Jewish Greek names. Something's going on. Acts chapter 7, we see Stephen, who was one of the deacons, used powerfully and then stoned to death. He became the first martyr of the Christian church. Incidentally, he wasn't raised up. In the midst of miracles popping off left, right and center, he was not raised up. Simon, sorry, Stephen, Greek name. How the Jews feeling when they see what's going on and he's dead and on top of that, he's got a Greek name. And he's representing the Jewish God. What's going on? Something's going on. And if you're the type of person who, when you watch a film, you're chatty. And you turn and you chat. And then you look back. You just missed. <laughs> That's what these incidents are like. Acts chapter 8, we see the gospel move. Remember, it's spreading. That's the theme. It's moving from Jerusalem to where? Where's the next place it was going to move from? Jerusalem, Judea, and then where? By the time we get to Acts chapter 8, the gospel's moved and spread to Samaria now. From Jerusalem. Then we see who? The sorcerer whose name was Simon. Greek name. It's the Greek rendering for Simeon, which is Hebrew. Something's going on. Then, in the same chapter, chapter 8, we see 
who gets saved and baptized on his way home? The Ethiopian, the Ethiopian official. See, you go make a cup of tea and come back. I can't explain that to you. Because if I start trying to explain that to you, I'm, I'm, I'm missing the film. Acts chapter 9. We have just seen Saul get converted, who is going to be the apostle to the Jews? No. The apostle to the Gentiles. Something unprecedented is happening. Verse 36. Acts chapter 9. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha. Now here's the second story. Nice to hear some biblical emphasis on female discipleship. A disciple named Tabitha. Which translated means Dorcas. Why did Luke just tell us that? When it's not commonly done, you don't hear a name of a particular individual, then you get another name for it. Sometimes you do. And I'm not suggesting that every single time it happens, it happens for a reason. But in the context, with regard to the bigger picture, why does Luke tell us that? Her name's Tabitha, but which is translated Dorcas. another clue. Tabitha means gazelle or antelope. Tabitha is a Hebrew name. In Hebrew, the name Tabitha means beauty. It means grace. Clearly from the Aramaic word for gazelle, because gazelles are graceful, aren't they? And they're beautiful. But then Luke mentions, by the way, if you're listening, if you ain't chatting, if you ain't more concerned with going and having a cup of tea and some biscuits, by the way, that Tabitha is translated Dor- Dorcas in another language. Apparently, since the 1920s, no one has been named Dorcas. I say no one. A very few people have been named Dorcas. <laughs> I think I've read of a Dorcas, but Dorcas, apparently part of the reason is because it, it's similar to a word that is quite derogatory. Dork. I'd be like, it's, 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 I, hope that, I, hope, I hope no one here is called that name, and I hope you have no one in your family that, that bears this name. But it's an ugly name, a lie? It is. And I'd be like... You know, if you're the casual reader, you'd be like, why you, why you even name that? Why you even say that? It's just, it's completely out of the context, seemingly. And it's, it's, just, it's, it's an ugly name, man. Why are you going to, if you're a casual, if you're a superficial Bible reader, if you're a Bible reader at all, guess what that language is? By the way, it's Greek. Or it's non-Jewish. 
verse 36b, they would say, or the second half of verse 36. It says, of this Tabitha, she was full of good works and acts of charity. We have a Tabitha here at South London, don't we? Who shares the same testimony. A lie? Now, isn't it interesting that Luke, who is the writer, would not be happy just to use the Hebrew name, but also determines to also use the Greek version. Clues in the text. Detail that is normal to the superficial reader. But to the one who reads, to the one who really reads, to the one who persistently reads, enthusiastically, earnestly, devotedly, and wholeheartedly, listen, if you know anything about films, it's these things that make this film sweet. This is the stuff that makes the film, the film. Oh, do you remember when he moved in and he went and went over? What? Ah, oh, don't worry about it. You weren't watching, man. Shut And then I'll try and go find someone. Did you see? Yeah, that's what I'm, did you see? Yeah. This is the stuff that makes the film the film, fam. That, see, when you understand the detail in the wider context, the, un the understanding's there, but the understanding is much deeper. Tabitha, which translated, is Dorcas. Verse 37. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they did something that was unusual. Because Jews normally, like those in the Middle East, Muslims, when a person dies, they bury them when? Same time, immediately, because of the heat, right? But not here, they laid her where? In an upper room, an upper chamber. I wonder why. Well, I think I would probably do that knowing that there are dudes like Peter Walking around, healing people. Furthermore, even though up until this point, no one has ever been raised from the dead by anyone other than the Lord Jesus. That is in the New, in the New Testament. Because it happened in the Old Testament, right? They're thinking, maybe. Maybe, maybe, maybe the look. She's such a wonderful woman. She's such a blessing. She's been so good to everybody. I wonder if the Lord might graciously, let's, let's not bury her. Furthermore, look, verse 38. Knowing that Lydda was near to Joppa. You know where Jerusalem is and you know where Lydda is. There's Joppa or known today as Jaffa on the coast. Real close to Lydda, Lydda about 12 miles since Lydda was close to Joppa, the disciples, check it, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him. Now this is going to happen again in Acts chapter 10. And this, I suspect, is preparation for Peter because there's a big 
there's a big occurrence coming. And it's going to be similar where, the, where someone's going to come and get Peter. And just to kind of get him ready, to prep him. And they come urging him, saying, please, come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. This is also going to happen again, that he's going to get up and go with them in the next chapter. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. See, that's why they put her up there. They took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. Verse 40, but Peter, he put them all outside. We ain't got time. Just like his master did. But, watch, so beautiful. He doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't leave everyone in the room and start walking around. Wait a minute, where's, where's, where's my white suit? Where's, where's the mic? Where's the platform? Hey. You see the contrast? No. He gets on his knees. Big old apostle Peter. Gets on his knees with no audience. We suspect that Peter communicated this directly to Luke, who's the writer, because how's anybody going to know that he was on his knees when everyone got sent out the room? On his knees and he prayed. And I can, I'd be like, oh, Peter, I feel you, fam. Be like, how do you turn to a lifeless body? Maybe that's one of the reasons why he asked them to leave. Because in his heart, he was like, boy, Lord, I wonder. Maybe you will, but then maybe you won't. So, hey, everybody, just give me some, just give me some time. I don't know. Turn into the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. Mark chapter 5, verse 34 to 43, we don't have time. We see the raising of Jairus' daughter. The Lord Jesus set in pace. Again, we see Peter emulating his master. And again, the words are almost identical apart from one letter. Not a letter that you write and post. A letter. Like the participle of a word. A letter is the only difference between what we're going to see Peter say and what we heard the Lord Jesus say. In Mark 5, the Lord Jesus says what? Talitha kumi, which means arise, little girl, kind of back to front. In Acts chapter 9, Peter says, Talitha, excuse me, Talitha kum. Basically, arise, Tabitha. So similar. Second part of verse 40. And after saying that, she opened her eyes. I mean, whether Peter expected it or didn't expect it, I suspect something in his heart leapt. Maybe, he, maybe, something, maybe his whole body leapt, like jumped back. I don't know. But she opened her eyes. When she saw Peter, she sat up. Verse 41, and, and he gave her his hand. And he raised her up. 
And calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became, I mean, how do they hold back this kind of news? It became known throughout all Joppa. And check it, many believed in Peter. No. Many believed in the Lord. In an area that was now, check it, even further away from Jerusalem. What's going on here? This message is moving from Jerusalem all over the place. Well, why are we surprised? It's only fulfilling Jesus' prediction in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says to the disciples at the beginning of this book, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem. In all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. This encapsulated in this one verse is the big picture that we see being revealed to us as we progressively work through the book. Last verse, and he, that is Peter, stayed in Joppa. I mean, I'd, I'd stick around as well. You know what I mean? To tell, the sto- to tell the story, and then to tell the other story that happened before I came to Joppa. Wow! About what the Lord had done. For many days, it says. And look who he stayed with. Another Simon. But this brother is a tanner. And here's our final clue. And easily read over it. Apart from really good commentators, I would have read over this. I can't even stand up here, look, and take the third G to myself. Like, hey, yeah, I'm a Bible scholar. Anything you want to know about the Bible, just come check me. <laughs> I thank God for good commentators. Guys who know how to use the, the shovel and the spade. He stayed with a man called Simon, who was a tanner. You know what a tanner is? A tanner is... Someone who sells leather, works with leather. Now, why this is unusual is because in order to get the leather, I mean, where does the leather come from? It comes from animals. And how are you going to get the, the leather, the skin, off the animal? You have to kill it. Or someone kills it and you have to handle something that hey, Jewish people don't, hey, look. That ain't kosher. <laughs> you know what I mean? They don't touch dead bodies. They don't work like that. And if they do, there are obviously strict parameters that govern that. Right? <laughs> Peter's jamming in this brother's yard. Now, what is that all about? I'm telling you, something is going on that if you don't look below the surface, you'll miss God is doing something. And God's doing something remarkable, particularly in Peter, because God is going to do something remarkable through Peter. Peter, a Jew, behaving very unlike a Jew. Why? Because we're seeing a transition. And things are moving from the Jews and moving more toward the Gentiles. Can you see that? 
Now, we're going to see this theme continue next week. A very important conversion is going to take place in the next chapter. No surprise to you. It's not a Jew. It's actually going to be the first Gentile, apart from, there's a bit of debate, the Ethiopian, who they say was a Jew, if you like, because he had probably been proselytized. But now we're going to see next week, or at least the beginning of next week, the first legitimate Gentile come into the church. Something monumentous. That's going to see the revelation of God's new covenant extend to those outside of the Jewish nation in ways that have continued to this very day, September 27th, 2009. Have we got any Jews in here today? Yeah, every single one of us, at least, those of us that have put our trust in Christ, have been affected by this gospel. Next week, we're going to continue to see this marvelous progression. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, two times we heard today that many believed in you. Father, they believed in you because they believed in Jesus. And my prayer, Father, is that apart from my brothers and sisters who know you, apart from my brothers and sisters, Lord, who I would hope have been encouraged to dig deeper, to look further, to look more closely at your love letter, Father, I pray that there be those who got a peek, a sneak peek into something they may have never seen before. There may have been those who were standing there, Father, when Jesus said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. I thought, whoa. And they're not identified in the text by name. Yeah, I wonder what they thought as they stood there watching, as they stood there listening. Father, I wonder what individuals who have come today may have come before. And they've had a sneak peek. Well, I pray, Father, that you'd reach into their hearts and that they would be convinced to become a part of this larger group who believe in the Lord. Pray, Father, that you'd work it out. Your word's powerful. I pray that you just draw back the curtains, Lord, and encourage us to, to find a comfortable seat and begin to appreciate just the wealth, the dimensions that you provide for us in revealing yourself to us through your word. Lord, give us the grace, I pray, to be able to behold wonderful things in your word.